Well, today we are going to finish our series in our study of others living a faith that endures. Thank you for enduring the, ser- the sermon series. <laughs> after, uh, after today, we're, next Sunday, we're going to get into the book of Daniel and do a study on that book uh, called Living in Babylon. Living in Babylon. You ever think that you are there? <laughs> Foreign country, different rules, different um, standards, and uh, we're going we're gonna to teach us through Daniel how we can successfully live in Babylon. On occasion, I'm sure, as we've gone through this study, we found ourselves on the others list. We're a firm believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but maybe we've been prone to depression or discouragement or disappointment or doubt. Maybe we've had a time of financial setbacks, and maybe we've had to live with a prodigal or doubts, or a time even in our life when we had a denial like Peter. Today, as we finish our series, I'd like for us to take a look at one more hero of the faith, Jeremiah the prophet. We learn from his story that sometimes God does not allow our efforts for him to be wildly successful in outward ways. But God is there. And God has a different standard of measurement on what success really looks like. Will you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 38, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to read uh, this passage of Scripture. And this is just one incident in Jeremiah's ministry that happened to him. Jeremiah 38, verses 1 through 6. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the princess said to the king, please let this man be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of his people, but their harm. Then Zedekiah the king said, look, he's in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah, cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, who was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes. In the dungeon there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sank in the mire. Father, we come in your presence now and pray that you would help us to see through Jeremiah's example and through Jeremiah's life what you consider a real success is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like for us to look not only at this incident, but other incidents in Jeremiah's life that we could see his lack of outward success. Now, Jeremiah had a unique calling 
in chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 4 through 10 to just show you a little bit of how God called Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified or set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I've set this day over you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Now, Jeremiah was called to be a prophet before he was even in his mother's womb. His ministry started before the time of the Babylonian invasion of the people of Judah. He was called to be a prophet, to sound a trumpet to the nation of Judah that you are going to be invaded by this foreign country called Babylon. Jeremiah didn't have a very happy ministry. He probably could have looked around and read the history of some of the great prophets of the past. He could have read this story about Elijah calling down fire from heaven and destroying the prophets of Baal. Perhaps he could have read about some of the prophets that experienced miracles. Maybe he even read about Jonah, the reluctant prophet, that the whole city of Nineveh came to faith in the Almighty God. He, He could have read those stories He may have even read about some of his contemporary prophets who were successful or had miracles happen in their life. Yet God had other plans for Jeremiah. Jeremiah did not have the privilege of seeing pagans repent and turn to the true God. He didn't perform any miracles like other prophets. He didn't receive a commendation from the kings and the applause of the masses. He did not even have the joy of seeing his own people return back to God. Now, we look at Jeremiah and we see his obstinate audience. Chapter 36, verses 21 to 23. Now, I could have pointed out many different times where they didn't listen to Jeremiah. But this is just one of those incidents in Jeremiah 36, verses 21 to 23. Now, God told Jeremiah to write the words of this prophecy on a scroll. And he was to write it and give it to the king. So in verse 20, I'll pick up the story there. And when they went to the king, into the court, but they stored the scroll in the chambers of Elishama the scribe and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudai read it in the hearing of the king and the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. Now you understand what's going on. Jeremiah is trying to relate to the king, Zedekiah, or Jehoiakim, all of the words of the prophecy God had told him. So he gives him the scroll. The scroll is unwrapped and unrolled in verse 22. Now the king was sitting in the window, winter house 
of the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudai had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words. Wow, just imagine that. They were not afraid of burning the word of God and cutting it up. And just imagine... He has given this message from the Lord to deliver it to the princes and the king of, and King Jehoiakim through the word of God in the fire. You know whose son he was? Josiah was his father. And remember King Josiah was the one that found the words of God in the temple and had them brought out and they elevated. But one generation later, they're burning the word of God. Just imagine the obstinance of the people that he tried to minister to. Now, Jeremiah not only had obstinance in listening to them, he faced intense persecution. Let me share with you a a passage in Jeremiah chapter 37, chapter 37, verses 13 to 16. They seized Jeremiah the prophet saying, you are defecting to the Chaldeans. They saw that he had to go on a trip and then they said, ah, you're leaving. You're getting out of Dodge before they come. You're going over to the enemy's side. Then verse 14 says, then Jeremiah said, false, I'm not defecting to the Chaldeans. But he didn't listen to him. So Elijah seized Jeremiah, brought him to the princes. Therefore the princes were angry with Jeremiah. They struck him, put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe. For they had made that the prison. When Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, Jeremiah had remained there many days. The first incidence we see is they falsely accused him. They beat him up and they threw him into a prison. But that's not all. Chapter 38, the passage we read in the beginning, he had persecution of being thrown into a pit. Then Zedekiah, this is a different king who wasn't much better than Jehoiakim. Zedekiah, the king, said, look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah, cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. They let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sank in the mire. Well, the officials took Jeremiah, put him into Malchiah's cistern. This was actually a cistern in the courtyard of the guards. A cistern was a large pit that was cut into a rock that was used to collect water. I don't know if you've ever had, any of you ever, when you were younger or something, ever have a cistern? Now, cistern is not the opposite of brethren, okay? (laughs) Brethren and cistern. A cistern. I remember living out uh, in the country in southern Indiana, and we had a cistern. Now, it was a place to collect water, and there was no drain in it. I remember one day it was time to clean the cistern because it was getting empty, and I was the skinniest, and, and Dad tied a rope around me and let me down in the cistern. 
And it was not pretty. There was junk gunk down there, and I had to clean it out. And that was our drinking water from the pump. You remember that, those old days? So I can understand Jeremiah being let down into this cistern. And it, it was during drought time, and there was no water but just the muck and the mire. As a matter of fact, they let him down there, and he got by ropes... And uh, he had no water in it. He was sank down in the mud. His life was threatened. Had the water been much deeper, he would certainly have drowned or suffocated. And death by starvation was a near prospect. Perhaps individuals up top, they didn't like Jeremiah because he was saying bad things and negative things about what's going to happen to Jerusalem. So they probably threw rocks at him down there. So that was a terrible thing for him to be in that muddy water and the sunk in the mire. Also, we see what else happened to Jeremiah. Jeremiah joined the captives. He prophesied for probably about 45 years. During his final years, he ministered as an exile in the land of Egypt. He finished his ministry in Egypt where tradition says that he died by stoning. Now, by today's standards, Jeremiah would have been a failure. No one wanted to listen to him. The pews were empty. His message was always about judgment. He missed that seminar on how to live your best life now. He didn't read the book on five ways to have a growing congregation He didn't have a revival going on among his beloved nation of Judah. No one was walking the aisles, and he did not have a lot of external evidence of success. No one came after he preached and said, good prophecy, Jeremiah. (laughs) Perhaps uh, Jeremiah would have been considered a failure, but not to God. Perhaps God has a different measuring stick when it comes to the success of his servants. And I believe we can find four things about Jeremiah that God across the board measures success by. God's measuring rod for success, God expects us, first of all, to be obedient. We learn way back in chapter 1 that Jeremiah was called, let me read that, Jeremiah chapter 1. It says there in verse 8, Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, this day I have set you over the nations, over the kingdoms. He, all he had to do was simply deliver the message that God wanted him to deliver. God is the one that's in control of the results of that message. He simply had to listen to what God said and boldly proclaim it. Obedience is so important. There was one king who just didn't get that. Remember King Saul? King Saul was, uh, started out pretty good, and he uh, carried out some battles, and God told him, okay, when you go into this battle, don't take any of the stuff. Don't take any of the stuff for a spoil. Offer, it's going to be as an offering to me. 
But Saul did not. He, he thought with his mind, says, no, I think these, these things are worth it. Why don't we just bring them back? And of course, when Samuel confronted them, he says, but we're going to offer it to the Lord. And then Samuel said to him what God told him, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen rather than the fat of rams. God counts obedience the number one quality in his servants. Do what I tell you to do. Take this message, this gospel message, but they don't want to hear it. Tell it anyway. But there's other ways to fill the pews. Tell the gospel message anyway. Tell them what I told you in the word. Jeremiah, in God's book, was obedient. But there's a second measure of success. God requires us to be faithful. Jeremiah showed up for duty and obeyed God's commission on his life. Imagine, he probably could put two and two together and says, well, they didn't listen to me last week. They didn't listen to me two weeks ago. They didn't listen to me. And today, they're not going to listen to me anyway. And the temptation is, well, why should I do this? <laughs> why should I face the, the cistern and the dungeon and getting beat up? Because he was faithful at what God called him to do. My friend, we are not called to be successful. We are called to be faithful. We find this all in the Word. We've been called by God to serve him. Our calling is not, uh, it's to be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, we're told, Let a man so consider of us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. In another passage in the New Testament, Jesus spoke a parable about a landowner who was evaluating his servants. In this parable, serves as an illustration of our Lord's evaluation of our lives of service to him. All servants of Christ, at the end of that parable, the servants heard these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Jeremiah was obedient to his calling and he spoke the truth and he was faithful in doing what God had told him to do. And God commended him in chapter 1. Listen to what God said about Jeremiah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they've forsaken me. They've burned incense to other gods and worshiped the work of their own hands. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay before them. For behold, I've made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. I wonder, are you faithful? Are we faithful? Are we faithful in the simple things? Are we faithful to show up for church? I mean, that's, that's what God's called us all to do in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but 
but assembling together, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. Are we faithful also in our duties for the Lord to show up and do it, teach that class, or, or to serve in that ministry? Are we faithful in our devotional life, faithful to, to study the Word of God? God requires us. The measuring rod of success is not only obedience, but faithfulness. But there's one other measuring rod of success from God. God desires us to be passionate. Now, I looked in Lamentation, just in case you didn't know, uh, Jeremiah not only wrote the book of Jeremiah, this is about the invasion of um, Babylon invading Judah, and then the book of, this short book of Lamentations was written also by Jeremiah. It's his heart cry out for the, what, uh, the dismal aspect of Judah at that time. He cries out with, he's called the weeping prophet. His weeping was brought on by the hardness of the hearts of the people of Judah, as well as their continuing wickedness. Two verses I want to point out. Lamentations 2.11. This is what Jeremiah says. that shows his heart. My eyes fail with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the infants fate in the streets of the city. He saw the conditions of the people that were, were in the city of Jerusalem, and his heart went out to them. It wasn't just, well, I'm doing my job. Hey, forget, you know, I don't care what you guys do. I, I've done my part. No, his heart was broken because of the condition of the people that didn't listen to God. Also, in Lamentations 4, 3, 48, my eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. His heart broke for people. He was passionate. God looks at his servants as not only being obedient and faithful, but you got to care. You got to have passion for what the Lord has called you to do if you're going to be successful in his eyes. The great missionary Jim Elliott once said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Don't do something just going through the motions as well, that's good enough, you know. That's good enough for government work, they used to say. <laughs> and then a lot of Christians say, well, that's good enough for God. You know, I can just kind of wing my way. No, be passionate for the people. Be passionate for the ministry God's called you to. One other measuring rod of success is God calls us to be courageous. My goodness. Think of the courage Jeremiah had to have to know that he's going to risk his life as soon as he opens his mouth. You got to understand that there, the, Judah was told not only by Jeremiah, it was told by Ezekiel, it was told by other prophets that you're going to be invaded. But they didn't get the picture. They thought that they could fight off this king of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. They thought, we'll just make sure that we can hold out. And Jeremiah was saying, surrender. Go. And he, they, he was called a traitor. And he knew that the message was not going to be popular. And he faced persecution. And he had courage in the face of the prophets, other prophets, 
who were preaching peace, preaching things are going to get better now. Everything is going to be happy. He had to have courage in the face of the king. Sometimes God calls his servants to be courageous. Remember Joshua had to have courage. As Moses left the scene at the end of the five books of the law, Joshua was given a commission in chapter 1. And I, I read that passage again. I'm going to read it again. Notice how many times he told them, you're going to have to have courage. Joshua 1.6, be strong and of good courage. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have not I commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That was the only thing Jeremiah could hang on to. I've got to face this because God said, He is going to be right there with me as I face these people that won't listen to me. If he was in it for the pat on the back, for the good prophecy, Jeremiah, for the number of people that were enamored with his ministry, if he was in it for that, he would have quit day one. But he had God right next to him, and that's all he needed. Well, let's, what about us? What kind of lessons can we learn from Jeremiah's pit? First lesson, focus our joy on the privilege of serving God. If we do live for the pat on the back or the approval and the praise of men, we will get terribly discouraged. We're thankful when the affirmation and even fruit from our efforts appear. However, our joy should come from just being used by God. Our job of serving the Almighty is such an honor, and our thrill is to be used by God in the greatest endeavor of all, obeying Him and teaching His Word. I'm reminded of the words that were used by Steve Jobs to convince John Scully to leave Pepsi and join the startup little company called Apple. Ever hear about that? And these are the words that Steve Jobs told John Scully. It wasn't about the money. It was this. Do you want to sell sugar water the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? Wow. What a statement. And I think a lot of times we who have to deal with the greatest job on the earth, getting the gospel out, whether it's in a professional way or whether it's in a ministry in a local church or whether it's your next door neighbor, we got to look at the joy and the privilege of serving an almighty God. It's all about him. It's all about serving the Lord, and we've got to always refocus on that. Who are you serving? <laughs> you serving that class or that ministry, or are you serving the great God of heaven? Secondly, God has different jobs for each of us in his harvest. If we live for the pat on the back or approval and praise of men, we'll get terribly discouraged. You know, I, I'm thankful when there's some fruit, and we see that, the individuals that God brings to faith and that grow. But 
we got to realize that some people have a different ministry than you do. So don't look at some person and compare yourself to them and say, well, this person had this, this many people get saved last year. But I didn't see anyone come to faith in Christ. In my, God uses some to plow the ground. God uses some to plant the seeds. God uses some to pull the weeds. <laughs> Don't you love to do that? <laughs> and pulling the weeds in ministry also is difficult. But you've got to do it. God has different jobs for each of us, so we shouldn't compare. That's what they were doing in Corinth, you know. I like Peter. No, I like Paul. I like Apollos. And he's really good at this, and he's really good at that. But, but God is the one who is the landowner, and he is the Lord of the harvest. So we need to remember that. And one other thing we need to remember. Remember that the Father's reward doesn't come at the end of the day. It doesn't come at the end of the sermon. The Father's reward doesn't come at the end of a ministry. It comes in heaven. I came across, and I put this in the book that, that I wrote. It's, it's a story called You're Not Home Yet. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for years, and they were returning to New York City to retire. They didn't have any pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated and discouraged and afraid, and they discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from a big game hunt. Of course, no one paid attention to the missionaries. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the great man. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something's wrong here. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service to God in Africa all these many years and have no one care a thing about us? Here's this man comes back from a hunting trip. Everybody makes much over him, but nobody gives two hoots about us. Dear, you shouldn't feel that way, his wife said. Sometimes wives have to do that. <laughs> he replied, I just can't help it. It just doesn't seem right. Well, when the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and the other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival, but no one noticed the missionary couple. They slipped off the ship, found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what kind of job they could get living in the city. That night, the man's spirit broke. He said to us, I just can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, why don't you just go into the bedroom and just tell the Lord that? A short time later, he came out from the bedroom, but now his face was completely different. His wife asked, dear, what happened? The Lord settled it with me. He said, I told him how bitter I was that the president would receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply says, but you're not home yet. You're going to receive an abundant reward when you come to the Father's house. You ever feel like a failure? 
Sometimes you men, us men, we feel like a failure because our jobs didn't go the way we thought they would. We feel like a failure because we just don't have enough money. Don't even talk about our retirement fund. (laughs) Sometimes you ladies might feel like a failure when you look at your house, when you look at your children, and maybe even your appearance, and you think, wow, sometimes pastors have a tendency to feel like a, a failure when the church is not booming like the other church down the road and in the other city is booming. You know what? God has a different measuring stick than we do. He measures success by our obedience to him. Are we living a life that's honoring to him? Are we teaching his word faithfully? God says, well done. Are we faithful in what he's given us to do? We show up. We might not have the biggest class or the biggest church, or, but we show up. We continue to do what God asks us to do. And we're passionate because we serve an almighty God and we work for him. And we are not only that, but we are courageous. Oh, my friend, lift up your hearts. Lift up your hands. God will say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know that I'm speaking to some believer who perhaps is discouraged and feeling like they are a failure. Oh God, I pray you would encourage them. With the prophet Jeremiah who in all outward aspects, (laughs) he would have been considered the least successful prophet. But you commended your servant and called him faithful. Father, lift up and encourage your children today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.